Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Be sure to stay tuned to the end of the show to hear how you can get a copy of this program and other helpful documents. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get Up In Your Business. Hello, you're listening to KABF in Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm Carrie McCoy, and it's time for me to get all up in your business. For the next hour, my guest and I will be having a conversation of curiosity and storytelling. We will be answering questions via phone and email and giving advice to small business owners and to people who dream of owning a small business. You may be asking yourself right now, what makes this lady qualified to do this? And I'll tell you, experience. So in a minute, you can email or call and ask me anything or my guest. My experience is deep and wide, and my advice is free. Forty years ago, with just $400, I started Arkansas Flag and Banner. Since then, it's morphed into simply flagandbanner.com, with sales nearing $4 million. That's worth saying again. I started Arkansas Flag and Banner with just $400, and today we have sales nearing $4 million. I started by selling flags door-to-door, then went telemarketing, next mail order and catalog sales, and today we rely heavily on the Internet. In addition, over the last 40 years, I've navigated flag and banner through two recessions and two wars. When people find out I'm that woman who owns Arkansas Flag and Banner, they often say, oh, I've heard about you, and begin asking me business advice. I amaze even myself with all the knowledge I've gained. If you call me for advice or my guest, you will not be given textbook answers or theory, but you will be given candid advice from real-world experience. So be prepared for the truth. It's not always easy to hear. For instance, you may not want to hear this. In business, there are very few overnight successes. Starting and owning a business takes persistence, perseverance, and patience. When I started Arkansas Flag and Banner, I supplemented my income by waitressing, all while I peddled my flags door to door. After nine years, did you hear me? Nine years of working a part-time job, the company began to grow and solely support me. My first hire was a bookkeeper. My first expansion was to begin the manufacturing of custom flags. The next decade ushered in Desert Storm War. Flags were scarce, so a screen printing department was hurriedly built to meet the consumer's demands. In addition to sales and manufacturing, Flag and Banner now has a purchasing department, a shipping department, a technology department, marketing department, call center, and retail store. And I spearheaded each of these developments. My experience is deep and wide, and my advice is free. I hope you'll take advantage of this unique opportunity by calling or emailing me on today's show. Before we start taking calls and talking to our guest, I want to introduce the people at the table. We have Tim Bowen, our technician, who will be taking your calls and pushing the button. Say hello, Tim. Hello, Tim. My guest today is the infamous Jack Sundell, owner and founder of the very celebrated Root Cafe in downtown Little Rock, Arkansas. Jack's background was not grounded in restaurant experiences, as you might think, but rather in service work. While working for the Peace Corps in Morocco, he fell in love with their cafes and saw how they were an integral part of the Moroccan's social life. Back in the States, he volunteered for Heifer Ranch in Perryville, Arkansas. There he learned the practice of farm-to-table eating and living. These two very different worlds collided in an idea and became Jack's passion that we know today as the Root Cafe, with a sign on the wall that says, Building Community Through Local Food. Welcome to the table, Jack 
Sundell. Thanks for having me, Carrie. You're welcome. What a ride your 20s must have been. It says you bounced around. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I bounced around. It was like Michael Jordan was dribbling me. (laughs) Well, today I want to talk about the Peace Corps, the Heifer Ranch, the Root Cafe, nepotism, because you work with your family. Mm -hmm. But before we get on every one of those, I saw you went to Hendricks College. That's right. Yeah, I went to Hendricks. um, And gosh, what a great school. I was from a small town in Arkansas, Monticello, and I went to governor's school in 11th grade. And I just had this wonderful experience where I met people like me, you know, sort of uh, forward thinking uh, for the first time and and, uh, found that there were other people my age who had interests besides football and cheerleading. And (laughs) so uh, I went back to Hendricks after I graduated and, uh, you know, such an incredible school. It gave me a great education, a great foundation in learning how to learn. And then also the opportunity to study abroad, which I did. Uh, I studied in France for a year. And uh, then after I got back from there, I finished at Hendrix and uh, moved to New York City. I had a grandfather living there um, and lived in New York for two years. I went first to an English teaching school. Um, The goal was to become an English teacher. And then once I finished that program, I realized I wouldn't make enough money to support myself in New York uh, by teaching English, or at least the, the way I was uh, looking at it at the time. So I went to bartending school and, uh, when they I, make money, they do, but I wasn't able to get a job as a bartender. Uh, what? And, well, it's, it's a tough market up there. And, uh, um, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of bartenders looking for work. So there's a lot of competition. I didn't have any experience in bartending, but, um, I got a job as a waiter at a restaurant and, and worked there for about a year and a half. And so you do have a little waiter experience, a little restaurant experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've got a, a decent amount of restaurant experience. Um, I worked at Dixie Cafe in Conway for about nine days. I still hold the record for the uh, most number of dropped drink glasses at one time. <laughs> so you, you couldn't get a bartending job, which I've never heard of anybody not being able to get a bartending job, but okay. And I guess there's, well, a, lot of, I yeah. guess there's a lot of actors wanting bartender jobs. Right. And, and if you've got experience, I think it's a lot easier. And maybe I was looking in the wrong places, but, um, you know, I was, I was looking for the kind of bartending job I would want to have. And I guess that's the kind of bartending jobs that everyone would want to have. So. so you came back to Little Rock? Or you no, joined the Peace Corps then? After that, I moved to Michigan. And I lived in Michigan for a year outside of Traverse City. There is a small liberal arts boarding high school called Interlochen. Interlochen. Do you know Interlochen? I visited. Gray thought about going there. One of my sons. Oh, it is okay. a very interesting place. Beautiful. Yeah. They have an enormous summer camp, and I had worked there as a, a cabin counselor a couple of summers during college. And then after yeah. after Hendricks uh, and after New York City, I decided to uh, be a hall counselor there during the school year. So it was kind of my place to... Do you play to... music? Well, I do. Yeah, I play... Uh, um, guitar and harmonica uh, sing. Interlochen is a very musical school, isn't it? It is. I mean, they don't do folk music, but they have yeah classical music, very. jazz. Um, they have uh, creative writing, theater, ballet. So it's a great, wonderful place. So you got a summer job there. Well, summer job, and then a and then a, a full school year job as well as a, as a hall counselor because it's a boarding school. Oh yeah. And uh, it was a great place to kind of recover from New York City, you know, out in the woods for a year. Yeah. 3 feet a, in snow. And away from all that bars and alcohol and kind of regroup. That's right. They don't have bars there. They have taverns. Oh, they do? Yeah. Yeah, rural, you know, rural Michigan. 
So how long did you stay there? A year and a half, you said? Uh, there for a, for one school year. You're and probably then, 26-ish now. Uh, gosh, who knows? Um, I guess I was around probably 25, I think, when I joined the Peace Corps. I think I was about to turn 25. What, made, what was the deciding factor that made you decide you want to join the Peace Corps? You know, I think um, both my parents were in the Peace Corps. Oh. Um, they actually met in the Peace Corps. They oh. were both volunteers in Tunisia in the early 60s. And uh, the way my dad tells it, they met on a camel ride. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. It's but so romantic, he says, though. I yeah. love it. And uh, so anyway, I had grown up with that, you know, that legacy in the family. And I think somewhere in the back of my mind, I always kind of thought when I got out of college at some point, I would like to do the Peace Corps. And it's a, a an incredible experience. I was in Morocco for two years, and it's a it's a great uh, great way to see another country, to learn a foreign language. To, they speak uh, Spanish. No, they speak Arabic there. That's not even the same uh, characters we have. How do you even learn a language like that? Well, we didn't do as much uh, reading and writing, but we learned their. Uh, they have a dialect of Arabic called Darija. I didn't know this before I went, but. Every uh, every country in the Arab world and, and North Africa has its own spoken dialect of Arabic. And so if you go to Morocco, you'll hear a different language than you hear in Tunisia or Egypt or Saudi Arabia. And what connects all of them is that the spoken, uh, the, the written language is classical Arabic. So it's the Arabic, the, the old Arabic of the Quran. But wow. in every country... The spoken language has evolved while the written language has been kept the same it's as it like was. It's like North a and the South. They don't say y'all up there. Oh, it's even, it's, yeah, it's a lot more different than that, though. And they in don't some say cases, fixing. They're not yeah, fixing to do anything. In some cases, the different Arabic dialects are not even uh, mutually comprehensible. So, oh, really? Yeah, they're quite different from each other. So you went to the Peace Corps because it's kind of in the family DNA. So your family has a history of service. And you I could th- say that, yeah. And I think restaurants are very service-oriented, too. Oh, they're completely service-oriented. And you went to Hendrix, and what did you major in there? I majored in international relations and global studies. Well, that worked out really well for you, didn't it? It did. Well, the thing is that when I went there, uh, I graduated in 2000, and that was still considered an interdisciplinary major. They hadn't really created an international relations degree, so it was... Um, they're always slow. Colleges are a little behind on where we should be sometimes, I think. You know, you're like, hey, we need to learn computers now, guys. <laughs> well, the great thing about Hendrix is that if you wanted to do something like that, you could create your own major, and then you just had to get it approved, even if it wasn't one they already offered. That is very liberal artsy. It is, yeah. And so this was really the epitome of a liberal arts degree because I got to take 12 classes from, like, 12 different disciplines. You know, it was like when you went- Buddhism and and uh, gender and family and French language and just all kinds. It's kind of like an undecided major. Yep. When you went to governor school, it's at Hendrix. If our listeners didn't know, that's mm-hmm. how you ended up at Hendrix. That's right. Governor school is at Hendrix. But you kind of have to pick a, I wouldn't say a degree, but you have to pick a something you're interested in so you'll know which group to put you with. Like my son did music and the other son did arts. What did you do? I did natural science. Oh, you did science. Mm-hmm. My dad is a botanist and so... That seemed like the natural, uh, the natural path to go into. I just want to tell everybody that's listening, you are a cool dude. Well, thanks. You I, are. I have a blue mohawk also. 
Do you really? No, you do not. Well, I'm looking for it. <laughs> no, I was thinking the radio listeners wouldn't know if I, if I did or oh, not. I busted you out. Oh, I'm sorry. On, I'm sorry. How am I supposed to be a cool dude without a blue mohawk? Well, you are almost 40. You're not supposed to have a blue mohawk. They'll think it's just gray hair. Well, I do have a diamond-studded leather jacket on. Oh, <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> uh, all right. Oh, how did you come home? You came home from Morocco. By airplane. Thank you. And you ended up going to Heifer straight away, or you came back and lived with Mom in Monticello, floundered around? Well, I, I uh, came back, and I went on a road trip with my brother. Um, we went down to Austin, Texas, and came back through New Orleans after Katrina had happened. Oh, and, uh, wow. Yeah, it was a real, real interesting road trip, but then uh, that was, we, I think we were on the road for about three weeks or a month, maybe. And then uh, during that time, I applied to go to the Heifer Ranch, and I ended up there really just about a month after I got back. So how was Katrina down there when you were just, what, you just went down there to see what it looked like? What's a road trip with your brother? Oh, it was so much fun. Yeah, great way to travel. And you get to do it while you're young and before you're tied down. I can, that sounds like a great thing to do. So you come back, go straight to Perryville, you're living at the Heifer Ranch, mm-hmm. and animal science. You know, I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. Uh, that was kind of my more professional idea. In in the back of my mind, I really wanted to open a cafe, and I already had this in my mind. And I actually, I remember spending the last year of my time in the Peace Corps dreaming about this cafe and telling all the other Peace Corps volunteers that would listen to me about wanting to open a cafe when I got back to the U.S. But the sort of more uh, realist side of me was planning to go back to school, get a degree in, uh, I guess, uh, zoology or, or animal science, and then go to veterinary school. Oh. And uh, so that was the plan for a little while. Um, but I got done at the Heifer Ranch, and I started to take a couple of classes at UALR. And, What's got done at the Heifer Ranch mean? Oh, finished volunteering there. Oh, okay. So I was there for a year and a half, and... Uh, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I was in education, and then I was in the livestock program also. So got to, you know, work with the. They have uh, chickens. They have um, rabbits. Uh, they have rabbits. Goats. Have, lambing. The lambing. Right. You were there through the lambing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That is the, the lambing ladies thing. came. The lambing. They visited. Um, we were visited by them, and uh, we had sheep, and we had a herd of cows. I mean, we had so it was a, a really amazing working small farm and a lot of what we were raising there on the ranch we ate in the cafeteria and in the case of the chickens we actually processed them ourselves there on the ranch and so it was really amazing to get that kind of uh hands-on yeah that that hands-on education and in livestock and animal husbandry and then they also have a working organic garden there that supplies the csa that comes into little rock so oh i didn't know that it's about like an 80 member i bet you met a lot of the people you work with today at the root cafe that from there that's exactly right yeah there's still farmers i i met there that i that that we still buy from today so i would have to tell you the story since you're from the heifer i went up there because my son volunteered there one one of my sons did one time one year and i went up there to see him for lunch and while we're going through the line and getting a little piece of meat he went oh that's betsy we 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 butchered her last week i was just like oh no you're not supposed to name your your animals i just couldn't stand it but then they're really special when you know you're going to eat them later i guess i don't know well that's i mean that's true and it's a, a really interesting thing you know there were uh i mean obviously a lot of uh 
open-minded people end up at the heifer ranch, but it was something that we talked a lot about was that idea of humane treatment of animals and the fact that you could, you know, you could know an animal and be around an animal and in some cases even name an animal knowing that it was going to be an animal that you ate later. But the fact that you knew that you were giving it a good life while it was alive, I think, you know, it, I mean, maybe something that in our sort of industrial fast food system, a lot of people just don't want to think about it. And so, you know, when you, they don't want to think about where their meat comes from. They don't want to think about the fact that the burger on their plate was at one point of a living animal. But the fact that you don't think about that is what results in a system where animals are treated so poorly and uh, crowded into, you know, confinement operations. And so I think recognizing that and seeing that system in action is a really, really important thing because once you realize that that animal is a life form and it has feelings and, you know, it wants to be happy and taken care of just like a, a pet dog does, well, then you're, you're going to take a lot better care of that animal. It's going to live a much happier life. And, you know, if it's going to end up on a plate, it's going to end up on a plate. But In a before very humane it, way. But before it does, it's, it's good for it to live the best you life it can. You said that so perfectly. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. You act like you may have said that before. I don't know. I just just thinking out loud, Carrie. It's good. I like it. Um, so we want to talk a lot about starting the root. That's what really everybody wants to hear about because the root is famous, and it has a beautiful concept of building a community through local foods. I love that. So now you've been thinking about cafes because you've seen it in Morocco and you see that it's the core of the social society there. You've fallen in love with these cafes. You come back. You've learned farm to table. You've gotten to know all the people and the farmers that are local. And I just want to say to uh, young people that you never know where life's going to lead you. And you are a perfect example. You didn't just say, one day I'm going to have the Root Cafe on Main Street. It was a series of events that led you to where you got to. And you just got up every morning, I would imagine, and put one foot in front of the other, and all of a sudden you ended up somewhere you didn't anticipate. That's right, yeah. So you've left there, and you decided you're going to open this cafe, but you can't just open it right away, and this is when I met you. I think, actually, I may have met you when you were still at Heifer a little bit. So how did you start earning money to live your dream of opening a cafe? How did you start that? Well, um, I started thinking about it, brainstorming uh, the idea of the Root Cafe with a young lady who was out at the Heifer Ranch with me named Rebecca. And uh, the two of us ended up in Little Rock after we were at the ranch and continued to kind of develop this idea. And while it was still in very, very early stages, I met Corey, who became my wife later, and uh, she became uh, a... uh, third partner in all of the brainstorming and development of the route and so the three of us worked together for about three years and we did fundraisers which you know about uh the first one was at doc's pool hall at uh, arkansas flag and banner at the arkansas flag and banner that's when i met you that's right uh, a friend of ours nathaniel wills helped us put together this fundraiser and he is uh, an organizing guru isn't he isn't he yeah he just makes things happen and then he just goes away and you're left doing it you know he started the dreamland ballroom that's right, yeah. He started that. He talked me into that, kept doing all these things, and now and now he never comes around. 
I'm, and I see him, and I go, you know, Nathaniel, I'm up to my elbows in the Dreamland Ballroom, and I never see you anymore. Well, now he j- <laughs> now he just says, I'm a farmer. I don't I have any time. <laughs> he's, I know. I want him to come on the show sometime. That's right. And he's a dad, too. Yes, so he is. So anyway, those back. guys, the three of you, got together, brainstormed, mm-hmm. and you probably already knew Nathaniel. Yeah, we had met, uh, actually, before I even moved to Little Rock, I met him at uh, Merlefest, a music festival in North Carolina. And uh, so I already knew him. In when North I got Carolina? To- yeah, yeah. He, Two Arkansans met in North Carolina. Well, it happens. Really? At least it did one time. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, and y'all met down there and said, hey, I'm from Little Rock. He said, me too. That's right, yeah. That's exactly how it happened. Okay. And uh, so then uh, we did those fundraisers. Uh, you know, it was just like a, a keg party with a band, and friends would come, and we would ask for donations and uh, put a piece of paper out to build an email list. And uh, How many fundraisers did you have? At Docs, I think we did three or four. That's I can't remember, I think, but too. a few. You know, we'd get a different band each time, or a couple of bands. And did you do in any place else? Let's see. I'm boy, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I don't think so. I think most of the the uh, events like that we did, we did at Docs Pool Hall. Eventually, we started renting the kitchen at uh, yes. Christ Episcopal Church at Sixth yes. and Scott Street. Yeah. So we did some uh, some other format fundraisers. Uh, we would do like a movie and a dinner night. Did you get enough money at these uh, fundraisers and at Christchurch? Did you make enough money to start a business, or did you have to go out and get a loan on top of that? We ended up borrowing $10,000. That's nothing. It really, yeah, it wasn't much. Um, but that was mainly for the Venahood to get a Venahood installed. Um, you know, th- not all of the fundraisers were that successful uh, monetarily, but we did, uh, you know, if they didn't, raise a lot of money then we considered them friend raisers and that's right you know it was a way to build our email list and it was a way to get the message out that we were working on opening a local foods cafe and and you need sales which is really what you were doing is you were building your sales to your customer base you need sales almost before you need the location and most people put in a location spend all this money and then they go out and try to get sales you reversed that so you probably never went in debt did you because you reversed that you had right. customers first yeah that yeah. is very odd well you know looking back it worked out great yeah. we didn't we didn't know that we were doing something uh something smart and <laughs> i wish i could say that it was intentional but um you know we i think were just really averse to taking on debt so we thought why don't we do this slowly and we'll spend time raising money we'll spend time raising awareness of local foods in the little rock community which was something that was already going on but you know it was something that we could uh that we could work with other organizations and what set other up organizations do you work with well like community? at that time for example we uh collaborated some with the arkansas sustainability network um they were in the Victory Building at the time, and they started the local food pickup that's the online farmer's market. Is that still going on? It is. It's now the Arkansas Local Food Network. Instead of ASN, it's ALFN. But mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. they still do the local food pickup. And, uh, you know, at the time, I think 2007, they had just something like 15 people who were shopping through uh, the online farmer's market, and they had one supplier. Now you go on there, it's like, 30 or 40 farmers and over 100 people shopping and, there and, every week. And what do you go on? What's that email address? Uh, that's littlerock.locallygrown.net. And it's a an online farmer's market. You put your order in on, uh, I think, by Wednesday, and then you pick your food up on Saturday. Where do you pick it up? At Christ Episcopal. 
Oh, really? Yeah, they've That's been... That's still going on. It is, yeah. They've been hosting that for eons now. That is the coolest thing. I guess it's still successful. Yeah, it seems to be. I mean, there's a lot of other things, you know, a lot more farmer's markets now than there were back then, so... Yeah. Um, I'm every sure neighborhood's kind of got market, one. But it seems right. like every neighborhood's got one. So do you buy from a bunch of these guys for your root cafe? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I go to the Hillcrest Farmer's Market on yeah. uh, Kavanaugh. Right. I go there every Saturday. Um, hey, really? Mm-hmm. The great thing about that is it's a year-round farmer's market, so I can always kind of keep up with uh, what lots of the different farmers have, what's coming into season, and uh, so it, you know, and then it also serves as a place where I can pick up from farmers who don't make regular deliveries. So I might arrange, you know, for them to bring a couple of extra cases of something that we need, and then I'll go there say, and pick it up. Or you could, oh, because they're not from in town. Right, most of them. Now, there are a few that are that are urban farms, but the majority— Yeah, Felder Farm is. Right. Uh, there's Felder, there's uh, Dunbar Gardens, there's Little Rock Urban Farming, mm-hmm. uh, Willow Springs Market Garden. They, oh. They're not uh, active anymore, but for the first four so years— So you might, bought you might contact Grady's farm. Isn't there, isn't there a farmer named Grady or something? Well, there's uh, Harden Farms down in Grady. Down, that's the one thing. Yeah. So you might— because he's far away. You might call him or email him and tell him to bring you extra stuff, and he'll bring it up here when he's coming to Farmer's Market on the weekend. Is yeah, that what you're exactly. saying? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Well, aren't you creative? That's a lot of work to go pick up your food, though. Most restaurants have their food delivered to the back door. Well, so we have some farms that, that do deliver. Uh, they're generally bigger. For example, Arkansas Natural Produce down in Malvern. They're a really, really great uh, greenhouse operation. They do year-round spring mix. Um you know, the beautiful, really flavorful spring mix that you see yeah. in, like, the majority of, of restaurants in Little Rock. When I you was go out wondering to eat, where that came from. It's you know, Most of the time, it's from Arkansas Natural Produce, and it's a, they have a year-round operation, and uh, so we get, you know, several dozen pounds of spring mix from them each week because we put a little side salad with all our sandwiches. Well, I'm skeptical to buy it sometimes because I'm thinking, where does that come from? And I wondered if it was hydroponics. No, they're, uh, I mean, they grow in soil, but they have a, a climate-controlled greenhouse, so they're able to... Is there anybody doing hydroponics growing? You know, not on a grand scale that we've that we've come across. There have been a few that I've heard about, and... They've tried. They've tried, and, and may have been successful, but we haven't bought from them, so... For our listeners that want to know what hydroponics is, it's where you grow indoors in a warehouse in water, I think, and you just put mm-hmm. all the nutrients in the water, and so you can only grow things like lettuce, strawberry... Uh, kale. I mean, you can't grow any root vegetables in water, of course. Right, yeah. It's got to be stuff that grows above ground. And then, and I know they're doing it where there's limited space in uh, Asia. Mm-hmm. Like in China, they're doing it big time. Right. But I don't know of anybody in Little Rock, so I, I saw that sometimes. So that's interesting. So you've started your business down there. You've made your money. I know we kind of got off on farming, but, but back to your business, your core business. You've raised your money. Now you've got to pick out a location. Right. Um, well, that was, you know, one of the benefits of spending that three years was that we got to look at a lot of locations. And so... Um, I wish you'd have done it at Docks. <laughs> well, you would have had to put in a grease trap for us. I know. There were some limitations. Yeah. Those grease traps are expensive, aren't they? They are. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, of infrastructure hurdles to opening a restaurant that make it really, really expensive on the front end. And that's why you very often see when a a restaurant closes that another restaurant will open in the same location because they already have a lot of those things like a grease trap and a vent hood that are required for running a restaurant. And that's what you did. 
Well, you, no, we... Uh, you went to front... You, wasn't your place an old drive-in or something? You know, it had been, but um, it had, it was from so long ago that none of that stuff was still uh, usable. Use, oh. So, um, so during that three years, uh, we were doing the fundraisers. We did canning and food preservation workshops also. It was a lot of fun. Down um, at uh, Christchurch? Yeah, we did those at Christchurch mostly. Um, also at the Universalist Church, we did a few of those. We did those uh, uh, events, like I was talking about the movie, uh, dinner and a movie type stuff. We did uh, catering, which was a lot of fun. You know, we'd have people would get in touch with us who had met us at Earth Day or something like that, and they'd say, hey, can you cater a wedding or can you cater a party? So we so would... Where'd kinda, you cook it all? All down at Christchurch? We would, mm-hmm, yeah, we would cook it because that was a certified commercial kitchen. So we were able to, to use that kitchen, cook what we needed to cook, and then like we would take a, a catering delivery somewhere. It's like an incubator... Uh, small business incubator down there for restaurants. Are they? I wonder if they could still do that. For it was. You know, I don't know if they still do that, but um, I know that Trinity uh, did it for a little while. I don't yeah, think you know, Kent Walker, it, he got his start in Trinity, and mm-hmm. Loblolly also used that kitchen at first. So yeah. Kent Walker the a, cheese, right? That's a great model because it gives people who are just kind of on the verge of of manifesting this. And both vision. of them were successful. They were. Yeah, they both have their own spaces now, and yeah, I mean, they're doing great stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we, you know, we were connecting with people, uh, all the time through these different events that we were doing and people knew that we were looking for a space for a long time. We kind of had our sights set on, uh, seventh street tattoos, you know, the, the space. Oh, that'd have been by me. I'd have liked that. Well, that's right. It would be really close. Uh And, uh, we were, uh, so we were talking to them. They were building that new space they were in and they were looking to, uh, sublet the old space because yeah. they wanted to make sure that a, a new tattoo parlor didn't go in behind them oh. and uh, take all their business. So they uh, they were going to sublet to us, and uh, for one reason or another, that didn't work out in the end. And uh, then we, uh, a friend of ours who was doing some construction for Anita Davis down in the South Main neighborhood, he got in touch and he said, hey, I know y'all are looking for a space. Anita is redoing this building that used to be the Sweden Cream, and you guys should come down and take a look at it. And... Um, you know, it was one of those things, I mean, we had looked at probably 20 different locations or maybe more, and when we pulled up there to look at the Sweden cream, we just instantly knew that this was that was it. the place. Well, it is. It absolutely Felt right, is. You know? It's across from the corner store. It's next, oh, to, yeah. it's next to the Essie Museum. Right. And we've got Boulevard right there, kind of catty oh, corner. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's really opening up down there, that south on Main area. Right. Yeah, there's great stuff going on, and, uh, you know, I think... Uh, Obviously, Anita deserves a ton of credit for having that vision early on, and she was uh, really just kind of a, a philanthropic developer. She brought businesses in that she thought would be good for the neighborhood and the community, and in a lot of cases, would offer really great deals on rent for the first year to help them get going. And Are you renting from her? No, we actually eventually purchased the building from her. Um, we wanted to do that expansion project that we've been working on. So you've moved in, you found it, you moved in. Did it have equipment in it? No, uh, we had actually been uh, purchasing equipment here and there uh, through that three-year period and uh, just finding places to store stuff. And then so you just started painting it and moving in. Have you married Corey yet? um, Well, once we found that space, uh, we signed the lease in August to become effective on January 1st. And so... By August there, we knew that we were going to be in that space. So we went on our honeymoon in October. And we got married when we got back. And then... Isn't uh, that backwards? I don't know. Is that, I don't... 
we just figured <laughs> we just figured we would you do everything your own way we would get it done one way or another yeah and uh, so then in january we started working on the building and uh you know i mean another incredible thing about the anita davis story mm-hmm. is that um you know she really saw a food establishment as an important thing to the community there to south on main you know she had helped boulevard uh get their uh, get their bakehouse no, in, I didn't in that, know that space. Um, yeah, I mean, she kind of uh, she helped them some with finishing out the building, I think, and uh, and I don't know to what degree, but for us, she uh, you know once we had signed the lease, she was still doing some of the the finishing construction, and she said, "Let me know where you want outlets, where you want plumbing, where you want things like that." She had put in a grease trap so that it would be more attractive to a restaurant. She um, is such a philanthropist. It's incredible. Yeah. And she just moved up here like 10 years ago. Didn't she? From somewhere? Boy, I don't I don't know. She's th- not from that. Little Rock. I think she's from the country. And um all of a sudden she just moves up here and picks South on Maine as where she wants to, you know, do her work and just jumps in there. She built Bernie's garden. That's right. Yeah. Which is just I, I heard she came down uh from heaven from the sky on a golden chariot. Yeah, I think that might be right. I think that's probably actually where she came from. So you moved in, how many days did it take? How long did it take? And have you got your third partner? Did is you say third? how many days? Yes. Or months. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still have your third partner or she? Well uh she uh she was part of the partnership for most of the startup phase, but um she uh, decided to uh, to go in a different direction uh, during the time between when we had signed the lease and when the lease uh, became effective. So during the fall of 2010, right before we started actually working on the building. Um, Did you do it yourself? The building stuff? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, the building itself was finished out, and so we started doing the decorating and started moving the equipment in that, um, you know, that we had already bought and... Uh, we started, uh, you know, finding furniture and. Did y'all have another job you were working while this was going on? We did for most of the time, yeah. Um, I, I saw you where you worked at Audubon or somewhere. Well, I was at Audubon, Arkansas, for a little while as an intern. Um, I worked at Boulevard Bread Company for uh, two years, and then I also worked at a place called Milford Track out in West Little Rock. What's that? Oh, it's this neat little place. It's in the bottom of the Westlake office buildings. Um, a restaurant. Yeah, you. So never... you do have some restaurant experience. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so I, you know, a, a few places, uh, and Boulevard specifically, you know, because, uh, they were, you know, really doing amazing work that was, uh, you know, I, I felt like kind of, uh, ahead of the curve for, for what was going on in the, in the food industry at that time, they were doing a lot of local purchasing and they still, you know, they still are, yeah. but, um, but at that time they were, they were really progressive, really, pro- there was really nothing pioneers. Like them. There was and, nothing like them. Right. And so that experience was great. Milford Track, they make their own uh, homemade pasta and really? they do some really cool stuff out there. Yeah, you should go check it out. It's such a neat place. And uh, so, you know, worked at a few places like that. But then once we got to the nitty gritty, like in May or something like that, I think I uh, quit my job there. And uh, and then we just worked on the route full time. And, you know, it's funny. We were in it every day, you know. I mean, I remember we were even sleeping down there once in a while, just like we'd work all day trying to, you know, get stuff painted or build shelves or whatever we were doing. And we would just sleep on the floor when we got done, wake up the next morning and start back to it. Oh, that sounds and, wonderful uh, to me. That sounds well, really wonderful, like a labor of love, a passion. I mean... Yeah, but then uh, eventually, Scott McGee, he's uh, kind of a, a mentor in a lot of ways, and uh, he came and took a look at the, you know, the space, and he was going to give... 
give us some recommendations, you know, or, you know, just kind of give us his feedback on everything. And he walked in and, you know, at that point we had tables and chairs and we had a stove and an oven and an espresso machine and stuff like that. And, you know, we felt like there were all these things that we had to get perfect before we opened. And he walked in and he was like, this looks great. Y'all are ready to open. Y'all should open next week. And we were like, Whoa. And, and I realized that, you know, there was a point where we really had to just bite the bullet and, and open. My friend Doug just texted me a question. Come on, Doug. All right. Doug Pierce. Uh, Doug often comes and helps us with events that we do at the Root Cafe, uh, the beard growing contest and the hot That's pepper That's what we need contest. to talk about next, the pie contest. Oh, the pie bake-off. Yeah. So Doug texted, uh, are you going to restart your rooftop garden and rainwater collection with the new expansion? That's a good question. That is Doug. a good question. So, are you um, collecting ra- rainwater? Well, we had a rain barrel for a while, and uh, it was right where that second bathroom eventually went out on the patio. You're not serving that water up to us, are you? No way. <laughs> Washing your dishes. We in use it. it. We use it to water the courtyard. Right. Um, it's the, the funny thing about a rain barrel, though, is that when it's raining and mm-hmm. it can fill up a rain barrel, you you don't need to water as much. Oh. And then That's a good point. When, yeah, so uh, it's, I mean, we're learning to use it when we can, and it, but, it helps save a little but bit. But you know, a rain barrel's good. We have one, and we use it because we want to not make a big trench down the side of the house. Right. I mean, it's a great way to stop erosion. Erosion. It's a great way. And, and I'm just kidding. I'm, you know, I say that tongue-in-cheek. It collects a ton of water. I think it's a 50-gallon barrel, and, mm-hmm. you know, it'll fill up from one rainstorm. And so, do you have a garden on your roof? Well, it was actually just a green roof that Anita had put on before we even signed the lease. Uh, that was something that she decided would be an attractive thing for the neighborhood. So she put that on top of the building. She's and something else. She's something else, yeah. And uh, so uh, we maintain it, and it, it does well, but it's not edible plants. It's actually just some Flowers. really, it's drought-tolerant succulents oh. that do really well with, you know, in the Arkansas summer when mm-hmm. they're up there. Mm-hmm. Um, We've got to talk about your food network. You had, you've had some great publicity you had the traditional pie bake-off, and you had the Food Network, Simon, what's his, how do you say his last name? Mojumak, Mojumak? Oh, um, Majumdar. Oh, yeah. Majumdar at the Root Cafe in April to judge your traditional pie bake-off. That was in 2015, though. Uh, That's right. Yeah, back in April, I think. Mm-hmm. How'd you get him? He was doing a kind of non-traditional book tour. I think it was called red white and chew or fed white and blue it was some play on red white and blue uh-huh. and it was his story of uh you know he wasn't born in the u.s so his story of kind of learning about american culture through the food. traditional food of the u.s and so on his book tour he was doing a real non-traditional book tour where he just reached out through social media to different towns that he was interested in stopping and uh he would ask people to come up with an event of any size it could be like a potluck or you know some kind of a speaking engagement and so when he was uh looking at coming to little rock someone got in touch with us and said hey what would y'all be interested in doing if we could get him to come to little rock and you said a pie cook-off so we we thought yeah it'd be fun to have him be a guest judge for a traditional pie bake-off you do a lot of contests you do a beard contest pie contest yeah my wife tells me i'm too competitive i don't know you i don't know I like it. I think they're fun. You they're know. very fun. What's another one you do? Uh, we do the beard contest. Uh, it's a. You did chili, cheese dip. No, we don't do uh, any of those. No, we, everybody's we do doing a, those. Right, know. we do a community potluck usually in the summer. We uh, when we celebrate our anniversary uh, in June. What's a community potluck? 
you know, we just, uh, like, we'll have a party and we'll do, you know, a, like a band will come play and we'll, uh, we'll do a main course, you know, like some, uh, barbecue or something like that. And then we'll ask people to bring side dishes and you are really living up to your name. It's free. Community. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's not free. right. Yeah. We just tell people to come and have a, are you exhausted all the time? Well, you know, I, I can always use a good night's sleep, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're having a lot of fun too. So you're so keeps creative. Me going. Well, you know, it's funny you say that. I, I feel a lot of times like I'm, uh, you know, always on the hunt for new ideas and, so I think that's what entrepreneurs do. They're always on the hunt for new ideas. I think you are the epitome of what an entrepreneur does. Wow. Well, that's so nice of you to say that. You, Thank you, you Carrie. You're welcome. You had a passion. You saw a niche. You saw an opportunity. You thought about it, obsessed about it, as I know you probably did because that's what a real entrepreneur does. And you obsessed about it. Then you started moving towards the target in a really creative way and then you felt the moment when you went in there you had an epiphany or you had a moment an aha moment where you say this is the place a kind of a god moment i can't tell you how many entrepreneurs tell me oh i just had a god moment i just knew right then that was this was it you had that and then you just put one foot in front of the other every day as you continue to come up with creative ideas it's, you know, a lot of it, honestly, is luck and being in the right place at the right time. I don't believe that. Well, I do. I remember... You I make went to your a, luck. You've been making your luck. Well, I, I'm not sure, but I went to a small business class at, you know, the... Yeah, Small uh, Business Development small Center. Business Development yeah, Center, I love them. UALR. They're coming on in three weeks. Oh, cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I went to a business class there, and it, and it had all these great quotes and stuff, but I remember one of them that said that the majority percentage of entrepreneurs, when they were asked, like, what was the most important attribute you know or what was the most important thing about their success in opening a business more than any other thing they said good luck that was because they're humble well maybe it is i don't know but i've you know i've just kind of felt like you know the the fact that we happen to know this guy justin who said hey you should get in touch with anita and we went down there you know it's just like gosh it just fell into place like but if you'd been laying on your couch it had never fallen into place well so you Maybe. kind of make your luck. The potato I mean, chips might have fallen into place. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You kind of make your luck. I do agree. There's a lot of luck. And, you know, some could say God moments. But you do have to get up off the couch and every day put your foot in front of each other and not exactly know where you're going, but be, but be brave enough to keep going forward. So then, there's the one I want to do because I've never gotten this. you got a grant. And that's how you've done your expansion, I think. That's right, Yeah. So that's not luck. Who well, wrote the grant? Well, I I, I did oh, write the grant, oh, but oh oh oh. I mean, okay. just think about all the different applications that were out there. I consider that one of the luckiest. Well, if you things. hadn't gotten that one, you'd have kept going until you got one. Maybe I'm not sure. You know, a, another I consider lucky thing. The summer before that happened, we got an email from a group called MBAs Across America, and they what are they called? MBAs Across oh, America, okay. and they're a nonprofit that. Uh, sends groups of, of MBA candidates between their first and second year. Instead of doing an internship, mm-hmm. they'll do a, a six-week road trip, and four students will get in a car together, and they'll travel to six different towns in the U.S. and work with a business in each town and do like a week of business consulting with them. And uh, so they got in touch with us, and they said, we're doing this program. Do you want to be, be part of it? And we said, sure. And so we had these four students show up, and worked with us for a week. And they who taught who? 
Oh man, I, they taught us a lot. They they said that we taught them some stuff, but I, I don't know if that's did. true. So so MBAs across America, they come on this road trip. They worked with us for a week, and they interviewed our customers. They helped us with social media ideas. They looked at inventory things, stuff like that. And at the end of the week, they put together this uh, this kind of list of recommendations. And the first one was you guys should open for dinner. Um, your your customers have mentioned that several times, and in looking at the you know demographic air, uh, data for the for downtown Little Rock, there just weren't at that time a lot of casual family friendly dinner options. And uh, along with that, we ended up being part of this TV show called Growing America, and uh, it was following the MBAs as they went across the U.S. and uh, it was put on by uh, Holiday Inn, I think. And so it was kind of an uplifting documentary about this MBA program. And we ended up being part of that. To make it more exciting, they created this voting component on the show where viewers could vote for the business they considered to be the most inspirational. And we happened to win that. And uh, we didn't know at the time, but the prize from that was $25,000. That guy, Ty Pennington, you know, the one that does... uh, Yeah, I know that name. Extreme Home Makeover, I think. Like, he sends you to Disney World and bulldozes your house while you're gone. Mm -hmm. Um, He was the narrator for the show. And so uh, before the last episode, he showed up with a check for $25,000. And they were like, you guys won the most inspirational business. Here you go. And so that was the kind of finale for the whole series headline news announced the root cafe as the winner of the $25,000 grant selected for growing America yeah the name of the show is growing America a journey to success and uh, you can see it you know I I don't know if it's still on HLN's website but if you go to uh, if you go to the roots YouTube channel you can see it on uh, we have the whole thing it was about two hours without commercials and it was a six-part miniseries and they had businesses from Little Rock, Denver, and uh, Detroit, I think. And so it was a really neat show. It talked about how the MBA students worked with the different business owners. And so uh, after that, we um, that was uh, fall of 2014. And then that next year, during that fall, we put in the, the grant application with Chase Bank for Mission Main Street. And we found out uh, a little bit after that that we received that larger grant for $150,000 and that was to, to do that expansion that the MBAs had recommended, you know, the dinner expansion. So when they gave you the 25000 was it allocated only for expansion, or could you use it for anything you wanted to? Well, they said we could use it for anything we wanted to, but, you know, we, uh, we wanted to put it towards that expansion. And, and, when you got, and then getting that grant gave you the inspiration or the, or the national recognition to get the $150,000 grant? No, or did they parlay into one to the other? No, they were completely unrelated. Actually, um, it was obviously very coincidental, but um, no, it, it didn't have anything to do with each other. We just, uh, I had applied for that grant. Actually, I think before we even found out that that we were receiving prize money from the TV show. So, so you wrote both of your grants. Well, the first wasn't a grant. It was just a. It was prize money right. from that show. So it was just uh, completely random. The, but the Mission Main Street grant, that was a true grant with an, a, you know, a grant application. And we had to, to describe in that what we would use the money for if we received it. When I go and look at grants for the Dreamland Ballroom, I can't ever pick out which one I should apply for. How did you, because you could apply for a, a lot of different ones. Was there a specific something that 
triggered it to you that said, this is the one I need to apply for? Because you could spend all day applying for them. Well, you could. Now, I mean, I don't think there are that many for businesses, for for for-profit businesses, you know, so this was a pretty unique uh, opportunity. Mission Main Street grants are specifically for businesses. You have to be a business that has a uh, sort of a a social community building mission. Um, They were looking for things like local sourcing or, um, you know, like hiring minority employees, just, you know, lots of ways that, that businesses were giving back to the community. Uh, you had to have been in business for at least two years, and uh, there were a few other requirements. But when I read it, I, you know, I thought, gosh, that really fits with what we do. And so, Did uh, you we, read through a bunch of them? No, that was the only one I knew about, so I put in an application. And so you expanded with containers, I read. That's right, shipping containers. I know. I think that's so cool. It's fun, yeah. We're, uh, you we, just pick them up and move them. Well, they're welded to the ground now, so you can't anymore, but... If there's a tornado, the Root Cafe is the place to be. Come over there and get in your shelters. That's right, yeah. I want to thank Jack Sundell, owner and founder of the Root Cafe, and for birthing a restaurant with the mission of building a community through support of local foods. That's just a beautiful I, concept. And I do just want to mention uh, that a co-owner and co-founder, because my wife, Corey, has been involved every step of the way. That's right. We didn't talk about nepotism because it is a family-owned business. And for birthing a business, you get this cigar. Oh, and I it, brought one for Corey, too. Is it from Y'all Cuba? Can, it, no, it's not. What? But it's made with Cuban seeds. Okay, well, thank you. It says Romeo and Juliet on it. And that's romantic. Beautiful. Share it with your wife. All right. It came from the Humidor Room at Colonial Wine and Spirits on Markham Street oh, in Little Rock, nice. Arkansas. To our listeners, if you've got a great entrepreneurial story you would like to share, I would love to hear from you. Send a brief bio and your contact info to questions at upyourbusiness.org, and someone will be in touch. And finally, I want to thank all of you for spending time with me and my guest, Jack Sundell. If you think this program has been about you, you're right, but it's also been about me. Thank you for letting me fulfill my destiny. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening, and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next Friday at 2 p.m. on KABF Radio in Little Rock, Arkansas. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy. To hear today's program again, or if you want someone else to benefit from what you heard, jot this down. A podcast will be available within 48 hours at upyourbusiness.org or at flagandbanner.com. Again, that's upyourbusiness.org. Click on the tab labeled podcast. There you'll find today's segment with links and resources you heard discussed on today's program. Carrie's goal, to help you live the American dream.